And we are back. Welcome to another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. It is January 25th. We are Ohio's Sports and Beer Podcast. Uh, we've got some takes coming up. We're talking jackets. We're talking calves. We're talking Buckeyes a little bit. And uh, we're talking some award-winning beers. But first, of course, we have our introductions. I'm the talent. I'm the wisdom. I'm now the proud owner of mug number 252 for Dogberry Brewing oh, in Westchester, Ohio. Thank you. My name's Greg. Some would say I run the show around here, for better or for worse. Uh, to my left, we're starting out to my left today, is the ever-reliable, ever-present producer, Josh. Josh, on the ones and twos. What's up? What's up? How we doing today? Any, any doing takes great. to start off for doing today? Great. Uh, takes to start off. Um, you know, no one to hold them, no one to fold them. And no one to take the points. You know, we learned that in a couple situations. And we're going to talk about a lot of different coaches today. But, uh, you know, points are important to win games. Didn't think you'd have to state that as many times as you did this weekend. But here we are. Who would know? And then, uh, of course, the man that should be to my right, the only member of this podcast who might actually help out the show by not being here, makes our lives a little bit easier. Uh, Zach, the new father. Dealing with some of the, uh, some of the you got, hey, challenges of fatherhood. Like I said, you got to take care of the football, and he's taking care of the football. Taking right care now, of the football, so, so he's here. His take: uh, the Green Bay Packers were robbed. Ah, uh, ridiculous. That is true. Not, he's not a pass here, He's not here to rub all his Packers sadness, but I know he'd want to give those takes on I, the Ohio State quarterback situation. I know about. he would. And then uh, for my opening take, of course, I have. You know, it's not all about having the talent. It's about having the correct personnel. It's about having the right personnel. We've seen that in Ohio with the Jackets doing some player swaps, a lot of trades, Cavs, Blue Jackets, and even looking at, you know, some of the other teams, some of the personnel, maybe drafting a quarterback in the first round instead of helping out the rest of your team like the Packers did. Maybe could have gotten them over the top. But. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, you can have X's and O's, but it's how you use those X and O's. X's and O's. I don't well, know. yeah. It's the X's and O's, but it's also the Jimmy's and Joe's. So That's right. We'll get into that and a whole lot more. But first, we're going to talk about what's been going on in Ohio this last week. Let's hit the headlines. Headlines with Greg. What has been going on in the state of Ohio for the last week in the sports realm? Uh, we have trades all over the place. Ohio was a hotbed for trades this past week. Starting in Northeast Ohio, as the Cavs have been involved in two big deals in the last two weeks getting Jared Allen and Torian Prince from the Nets in the James, in the four-team James Harden deal, sending out a first-round pick for Prince and Jared Allen. The Cavs also sent team cast-off Kevin Porter Jr. after his outburst last weekend to Houston for a heavily protected pick unlikely to convey. The new-look Cavs looked ready to go with back-to-back wins over the new Big Three in Brooklyn before getting routed by Boston Sunday night. In Columbus, the Jackets also made a big-time deal, getting rid of trade requesting Pierre-Luc Dubois and a third-round pick to Winnipeg for their disgruntled star and also a top-three pick of the 2016 draft, Patrick Laine, along with Columbus native Jack Roslevic. The Jackets then finished up the week in which they got points in all four games with a 5-2 thrashing of the defending cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. And finally, we are just under seven weeks away from Selection Sunday, Josh. And even though the entire tourney will be in Indiana, Ohio should have a lot to say. Current bracket projections have four Ohio teams part of the field with uh, the four-seed Ohio State Buckeyes, the six-seed Xavier Musketeers, the 12-seed Toledo Rockets, and the 15-seed Cleveland State Vikings. Oh, wow. So a lot of basketball, some teams up, some teams down, but... The one thing that you know is Ohio always has something to say in the NCAA tournament. Always represent. Maybe and, down here, but represent. And those are your OH headlines. Oh, beer of the week. That's awesome. Yeah, how do you do that? That's great. This week, our beer comes from our pals in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's Mad Tree Brewing, and it is their... Phantom Forest Juicy Imperial IPA. It is a, as we mentioned, Juicy Imperial IPA. Stone fruit notes, 
It's tropical and smooth, and it's a year-round beer that is a little bit heavy, as you said, 8% for the Imperial IPA, 65 IBUs. So, Josh, I believe we'll get into it a little bit later, but I believe this was uh, this was a big-time beer, possibly an award-winning beer? Yes, this was. Uh, this just uh, We'll talk about it later at the end of the show when we get into the brewing news and all that, but this just won silver at the U.S. Beer Open Championships, a silver in the Imperial IPA category. And Greg, I think you can taste why. I mean, this is a superior Imperial IPA, and uh, it's got a bit of everything to it. It's you got the stony fruit, the berry medley, and then tropical hops. So hits you with kind of everything on it. Yeah, it's got that uh, you know kind of citrus berry beginning taste, and then you kind of get that almost New England IPA hop. Yeah, the back of it. You don't get too much of the, you know, kind of heavy imperial flavor, but I think it's nice. It's one of those things. It's one of those beers that goes down a lot easier than you think uh, imperial IPA should go. So maybe a little bit of a dangerous beer in that end. Right, right. I mean, yeah, but like you said, it's I don't want to call it unbalanced or everything, but it's not a mix of everything. You kind of get each thing at once with you know the fruit up front and then kind of that piney bite of the hopness at the end. Uh, but a superior one, and like you said, it's 8%, but uh, it's pretty refreshing for 8%. Yeah, I think it's refreshing, and I think you can tell why it's an award-winning beer, because it's one of those beers that you get all the taste. I think the problem that you have with a lot of, you know, with a lot of, let's let's be honest here, lower-level, aka non-Ohio beers, is uh, you don't get the full flavor palette. In this one, you get you get your berry, you get your hops, smooth, tropical, everything that you want. Maybe some of the Imperial fans maybe want a little bit more bite, but that would be the only thing that I could possibly say about this beer. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit more of that, but yeah, like, I think the best thing about this beer is that it hits you with everything, and you know, beginning to end is the perfect IPA. And then as far as the malts go, I mean, you get the, you know, the wheat, the Vienna malt, a little bit of uh, a caramel car- or yeah, caramel. I say, there's a caramel malt in there, too, and I, I think that just adds to that very complex flavor profile yeah. flavor profile that this one has. And I think in a lot of the Imperial ones, you get more of the darker malts. But in this one, yeah. you know, it's light. It kind of has that, that hazy, almost wheat, New England IPA-looking yeah. color to it. But, and, but overall, a very good beer. Um, yeah, well done, Madry. I thought it was just a, a fall beer that we kind of hung on to when we had a full stock. Yeah, but no, it's year-round. Yeah, we've had this one sitting in the chamber. And like you said... It's, I thought it was seasonal, too. I keep seeing it, though. I guess it's year-round, and uh, we'll talk about it more at the end of the show, but Madri, some other medals uh, were won at the U.S. Open Beer Championships, along with a ton of other Ohio breweries, so we'll get to it later on. But there's well, Ohio Brewing, and well there's done. everything else, so thank you to Madri. Please drink responsibly, because this, this is some heavy stuff. <laughs> it is time for our first... Quick sip, quick sips of the pod. We are doing a little hell yeah, hell nah. Josh, for today's hell yeah, hell nah, we are going to the ice. We're going to Central Ohio. Talking a little puck. Talking a little puck. As we mentioned in the in the headlines, uh, the Jackets made a big trade. Uh, Pierre Luc Dubois, the number three pick of the 2016 draft, and a, and a big part of the Blue Jackets over the last couple of years, had requested a trade. A lot of the speculation has been John Tortorella, as people have known during his entire tenure, is a little bit of a fiery coach, someone who, who can get under skin. I mean, the only coach that I've ever seen go into the opponent's locker room to try to fight them. Yeah. So certainly a fiery guy. Intense guy. guy. Intense guy. Sometimes a guy that can clash a little bit personality-wise. Big, big puck guy. But big puck guy. Uh, I believe most wins by an American-born uh-huh. coach. So certainly a guy that knows his stuff. But for today's hell yeah, hell nah, Josh, we have to ask, in Columbus, has Torch created the toxic locker room? Greg, I'm going to say hell nah. And I know there's a lot of people, and I saw there was a lot more of this take than I thought there would be on social media. Torts is the coach you want. I mean, and for Pierre-Luc Dubois, I don't know if anyone saw that shift that he had, and we'll retweet it um, onto our social media but, At I 30 mean, Rack of Sports, yeah. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll put it out there and watch it. Greg, it is one of the 
worst efforts I have ever seen from a professional athlete. The way he kind of kicks at the puck in the corner, almost sarcastically, is just uh, disgraceful. It looks like one of those, like, uh, you know, the the disgruntled baseball player who hits the ball right to the shortstop and kind of jogs to first base. Yeah, hardly runs it out. I mean, here's my thing. He, and he probably would have signed for more with all this talk not going on, but he recently signed the two-year $10 million. You're making $10 million to play hockey as a professional hockey player. Yeah. Go out there and play hockey. And same with Torts. He's $2.5 million this year in technically his contract season. It's his job, and a quote per uh, bluejackets.com, quote, my job, and I think it's a very important one, and I take it very seriously, is to monitor attitude, effort, what type of teammate you are, will you play under a team concept, et cetera, end quote. That's a coach's job, no? Yeah, and he's a guy that's, as you mentioned, it's his contract year as well, so he's coaching for his job. Right. So he wants the best results out there. And obviously, you know, some of the job as a coach, it's not all wins and losses. It's developing young players. But when you have a guy out there that's basically not giving effort, and he says he hasn't benched Dubois, but there have been at least two different, you know, periods during a game. Right. Uh, maybe three that he's, that Dubois's gotten maybe a shift. And if you look at, you know, for those of you that aren't as familiar with hockey, you get about minute, minute and a half shifts at a time. If you're a forward like Dubois is, anywhere between 45 seconds to a minute and a half, depending on how, how the game's going. And so usually, you know, four lines, you're getting a handful of shifts. Right. So if you're getting passed over and you're only getting one shift, that's a problem. So there's something there. And on that one shift, the effort you put forward. So, I mean, and look, I, I know that Tortorella is an intense coach, but that's his job to coach and what makes him such a good coach. I mean, I remember how mad I was when Marvin Lewis said, it's not my job to motivate players. You're the coach. You're the leader of the team. That is your job. And that's why I like Torts as a coach, and he is one of the best. I mean, are you saying hell not nah to this? Uh, so I'm going to say hell not nah to this, and I'm, I'm going to give kind of the devil's advocate role, but also sure. kind of... As you as you do. As, as I do. So some of the issue that... Columbus has had, and this might not all be on torts, but Columbus has had issues in the last couple of years keeping star talent. Dubois was one of the best players on the team. Yeah. Uh, in the past, they've had Sergei Bobrovsky, their star goaltender, and uh, Artemi Panarin, who they got from Chicago. Uh, both wanted to leave. Both their contracts, you know, uh, expired. Bob went to Florida. Panarin went to uh, the Rangers. And yes, that can be an issue, but you know, maybe some of that is from a GM standpoint, location standpoint, what they want standpoint. Right. There are so many factors that go into. And I know after Dubois left, he spoke with Sportsnet's Ron McLean up in up in Canada and said that Torts wasn't the reason. Um, you know, it could be some front office, but that kind of seemed tongue-in-cheek. Who really knows? I think the two things that are most telling is, one, uh, there's a player that signed – with the Jackets this year. His name is Michael Delzato. He played for Torts in New York from 09 to 13. And he was a guy who straight up said, I hated playing for Torts when I was right. a young kid. But then, now that I kind of understand the game and understand what he was trying to instill, I wanted to play for Torts because I understand what Torts expected out of us and I understood that we could be a successful team. The other thing is, Though Dubois was one of the best players on the team, he wasn't one of the leaders. He wasn't one of the no. top guys. If you're pissing off, you know, the captain, Nick Foligno, Cam Atkinson, uh, Seth Jones, the guys with the C's and the A's on their jersey, then that's an issue. But so far, I haven't seen any of it. So right. I think you have to go hell nah here because if it was a mutiny as a team, maybe. Yeah. If you saw guys asking for trades— then maybe. But this just looks like a couple of guys that either want out for one reason or another or guys that just don't fit the molds of a torts player. We'll see what happens with this, but uh, I think it's some, I think it was a needed move on. Yeah. And also, I mean, just to throw it in, you know, at the end, did get a Columbus native as That's well right. in Jack Roslevic, who has talked up to Patrick Line about how great Columbus is. Line said, you know, on an interview uh, with Fox Sports Ohio, how Roslevic has called Columbus the best place in the world. So certainly some guys to help him out and, and certainly some decent, you know, hope for the future with a guy 
that maybe wants to be here, another very talented wing, and a, and a Columbus guy. So a lot to look forward to the future. But let us know at 30 Racket Sports. Obviously, a lot of opinions have been floating around. Has Torts lost the locker room in Columbus? Hell yeah or hell no. Nah. At 30 Racket Sports, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. OH DMs. Uh, we posted some polls earlier this week. Uh, Ohio State and Ohio State's future, obviously a team that made it to the national championship, but has a little bit of turnover this year. So we asked, what are you most looking forward to this year? Uh, obviously, star wide receiver Chris Olave saying he's coming back for another year. So was it seeing him or was it who is going to win this uh, quarterback battle for Ohio State? Um, you know, with Justin Fields leaving, uh, Ohio State currently doesn't have a quarterback on the roster that is during a pass. Uh, they have redshirt freshman, sophomore. not really sure with the, with the eligibility how you put them. But the two guys, C.J. Stroud and Jake Miller, um, fighting for the job along with five-star recruit and early enrollee Kyle McCord, who was the fifth-ranked QB and the 25th player overall from 24-7. So uh, our followers said looking forward to the QB battle. Josh, what's your thoughts? What what are you most looking forward to for this Ohio State season? Yeah, I know on that one on Twitter it was a little more close. On Instagram, uh, fans really are looking forward to the QB battle. I think everyone kind of can assume that Olave is gonna have an insane season. Yeah, unless unless be, all the QBs are terrible, which I, yeah, I don't think. I is mean, likely. this definitely directly correlates to that, but I, I think it's such a toss up. Um, Obviously, Miller and Stroud, you kind of assume, have the lead here because they've played in games, even though they haven't thrown a pass. But I tell you what, this McCord kid, though, 25, uh, 25th overall recruit out of all positions, I know he's I know he's the low man on the totem pole here, the freshman, but the more you read about this situation, all three of these guys have a shot here. Yeah, and I mean – you even look at, you know, through this season, Jake Miller got a couple snaps uh, against Nebraska in their first game. But I think the guy I'm most interested to see is C.J. Stroud, a uh, guy with that kind of fits the mold of what they had with, uh, you know, Justin Fields, a guy that can run a little bit, yeah. had a 48-yard run. But also, it's not like he was any slouch. He was the third-ranked quarterback out of the 2020 class, um, only behind Bryce Young, who's a very highly talented recruit that Alabama, you know, once again, Alabama, right. very excited about. And then uh, a guy who actually got a little bit of work last year uh, when Trevor Lawrence had COVID, DJ Uyagalele from Clemson. Yep. So, you know, three guys. I mean, I yeah, mean, we're talking about three really good three, pro four style or five quarterbacks. star recruits. Yeah. Uh, obviously interested to see what happens, you know, to whoever falls back. I'm assuming if Stroud or Miller, one of them loses out, you might, you might see a transfer at some point, but as far as a problem to have with no one on a roster that's thrown a pass, having two four-stars, four-star redshirt freshman and a five-star true freshman, right. that's about as good of a... Well, and I think a lot of it's going to depend on what kind of season we're going to have. We're going to have a full season of normal semi-normal practice. Yep. Because I think if McCord, the advantage that Miller and Stroud have on McCord is that they have been practicing. They've practiced, even though they haven't played a lot, they've practiced a ton. But so they didn't they, have, I mean, they didn't have all the practice that you have from a year. Right. So they, but they know the system a little bit better than McCord is. If he can get up to speed, though, man, this could be fun to watch. Yeah, and I think that goes into our, our second question. You know, probably some of it will come down to the non-con games. Might see a couple guys get some work. Do have a fairly difficult, or well, first four games of the season, I guess, because one of them is conference. But their first four games of the season uh, great non-con is uh, Minnesota, Oregon, Tulsa, and the Akron Zip. So we picked, uh, we had it on our poll. Which game are you most excited to see? Uh, obviously, the Ohio bias comes yeah, out think, a little I bit think here. Listeners, are, yeah, everyone wants to see the uh, intro Ohio matchup. Intro Ohio matchup. Uh, probably for my money, I would say the Oregon game. But Akron, if it was the first game, I would maybe like to see it a little bit more. Right. See a couple guys get some work, so you can kind of stand out there. But uh, you know, they start off against Minnesota, then the big matchup against Oregon. A good Tulsa team that, you know, made uh, yeah, it to the AAC championship last year. And Akron. Uh, Josh, are, are, I mean, are you 
are you staying with the listeners and saying Akron, or, or are you leaning uh, more towards Oregon? No, unfortunately, unfortunately uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Akron Zips football program. Um, not to knock it or its history, but bit of a rough patch right now. That game might be just an absolute onslaught. The Oregon game is a game that's going to be interesting because you got to be the Big Ten team taking it. You talk all the smack, rightfully so, about the Pac-12, but you got to take it to the Ducks when the time comes. That's such a fun non-conference schedule, though. It'll be a fun season. Not to disagree with our listeners, love the Akron Zips. That'll be fun, but quite the interesting non-conference schedule, and there is a lot of fun things to look forward to this Buckeyes offseason, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I, I love Zips football, uh, you know, a team that finally broke a 21-game losing streak against the team that made it to the national championship last year. I don't exactly see too much of a game there. I actually picked Akron at first because usually they start the season against the MAC team. So you'd expect to see, you know, all three quarterbacks maybe right. get some work. But at this point, you know, they're basically going to be thrown into the fire. Of course, Minnesota was a little bit down last year, but I think Fleck is on the up and up with that program. Oregon, you know, the Pac-12 season was really weird last year. You know, even less games than um, than the Big Ten. So, could be interesting. And then a Tulsa team that's pretty good. So, a lot of good non-con games. But I think Akron is probably the least of Ohio State's worries this year. Yeah. But, it'll, like I said, lot to lot to be interested in. A lot of fun stuff to talk about this Buckeyes offseason. I'm sure we'll revisit the Buckeyes football program especially when our friend Zach returns. Yeah, especially when our friend Zach's back. A uh, whole lot to talk about. Maybe not as much just are they going to go undefeated, but a whole lot of interesting subplots from a game standpoint and from a quarterback and personnel standpoint. So we'll be sure to uh, keep locked in and keep you listeners educated on uh, what's going on in Ohio for all the college football, whether it's Mac, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio State, or the FCS getting started off soon, yep, so yep. Youngstown we'll, State, we'll have Dayton, to revisit that. get ready in just a couple weeks here. Alrighty, Greg, we're at the uh, what we're now calling in the show the Big Chug. We'll finish our beers. Yeah, yeah, finish our beers, okay. and as we talk about our big topic of the week, which we'll have now each week, we'll have the quick sips, talk a little something else, but then we'll. Talk about our big thing of the week. And this week, our big chug. Oh, you shoot. didn't actually want us to chug. Okay. I you can. You can. All right. The big chug that I'm talking about, though, is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Whoa. Who had a bit of a roller coaster of a week after kind of spoiling the deba- the uh, new debut of the Brooklyn Nets. Then coming out the very next night and beating the Brooklyn Nets again, thanks to Colin Sexton. But then, a little bit of Wednesday and Friday action, just beating them into the ground, yeah. But then kind of got spanked back down to earth by uh, the Boston Celtics. So I guess for the casual Cavs fans, our listeners, and uh, even the more expertise uh, listeners or Cavs fans like yourself, Whoa. what is different between last season's Cavs in this season, Cavs, because we've had 289 days between Cavs seasons. So what what all has changed from then to now? So I think 289 days is a good number to put on it. But also, I think right now, the Cavs 8-8 eight and eight through 16 games. Their last two seasons, they won 19 of 82 and 19 of 65 games in the two post-LeBron, post-second LeBron years. Um but I think the one thing that is kind of going under the radar a little bit with the Cavs, obviously they've talked about Sexton, some of the new players, Isaac Okoro, which I'm sure we'll get into. But the biggest thing is the Cavs' defense. Uh, a big commitment to defense under Coach J.B. Bickerstaff, who took over late last year, or well, about 80% through last year because of the shortened season. But uh, under him... The Cavs' defensive rating, which is roughly how many points you give up per 100 possessions, so it kind of regulates it for pace and you know how, how long the games go and everything. But uh, their defensive rating is 7th in the league. So per 100 possessions, they give up 108.7 points per, ga- or 
per 100 possessions, uh, which is about nine points better than the last two seasons, where they ranked 29th and 30th, respectively, in the league. So, so playing a little defense this year. The defense has been a ton better. Uh, obviously, Andre Drummond is an absolute Goliath as far as rebounding. He's tied for the lead in rebounds, but both him and uh, Larry Nance are in the top 15 in steals, both averaging over a steal and a half a game. Uh, the defense, just as a whole, looks more cohesive. Uh, you know, they've shown at points that they can get stops, which is something that they weren't really able to do. Uh, you know, in past seasons, it was, let's hope they miss, or uh, let's hope they have an off-shooting night, or, right. you know, they're screwing up or something. But at this point, they're really getting after it on the defensive end, causing turnovers, not turning the ball over as much themselves. And when you just have more opportunities to score than the other team, even if you're going up against elite scorers, you know, more shots is better than less shots, and you have the opportunity to win. Right. Well, like you said, they're already on pace to win a lot more than they have the past two seasons. They're 8-8, eight and eight, despite some bumps in the road, some guys out. But we've come to a very big point in the season, or the season that's scheduled is out so far. But this next month, aside from uh, games against Detroit and Minnesota, who are each in last place. Yeah, they basically have like a week buffer before that, yeah. before the real season. After are. that, you're facing an opponent record of 563, uh, 563 winning percentage for your opponents over the course of the next month. You have six games, including two against the Clippers, a game against the Lakers, uh, as they play when we record tonight, um, a game against the Bucks. Trailblazers, and the Nuggets. Some really good teams. ESPN, the new power rankings came out. Cavs jumped all the way from 21 to 14. But, Greg, is this their peak? Can they go through this stretch and set themselves up? What needs to happen during this, this stretch of important games? So I think there are, there are two big things, and one is you know, sort of out of control of the team, but something that needs to happen, uh, that's just staying healthy. You know, uh, obviously their highest paid player, Kevin Love, uh, you know, missed the last 14 games. I think he's out for another couple weeks till they, you know, diagnose the calf strain. Uh, they're starting one of their starting guards, Darius Garland, has missed eight games. Uh, both Colin Sexton and Isaac Okoro. Isaac Okoro, their, their uh, first round draft pick from this year, missed four games. Uh, and they've only had two players on their entire roster play all 16 games this season. So a lot of it is just staying healthy, getting some cohesion together. Obviously, with a young team and in a number of trades, you know, there have been some kind of uh, interchanging of, of personalities there. So um, figuring to, it out. Hard to develop any Yeah, like hard to develop chemistry. So, you know, get Torian Prince and Jared Allen in there more. Uh, get Sexton and Garland back playing regular. Isaac Okoro, he's a guy that's getting better, you know, every game as a rookie, you're trying to figure stuff out. And just kind of get your rotations more set. Because right now, it's kind of been, well, we're playing around because we have a couple guys injured. Well, we're playing around because we have, you know, a couple new guys. Once we get things more set and, you know, with chemistry, better ball movement, less turnovers, better defense. So a lot of that stuff can help. I think the other thing that's very important is just kind of bringing it on a consistent basis, and I think that's always the issue with young teams, especially in the NBA, is you go through, you know, good days and bad days. You have days where, you know, you beat the Nets by, you know, 16 points, and you have days where you lose, you lose by, by 40. almost 40 to the Celtics. Right. But, I mean, you know, three of their eight losses are by – 20 plus points so it's one of those things where it's like on a day-to-day -day basis are you going to get the Cavs that you know are beating Brooklyn by 14 points in the first half when they have Harden Kyrie and KD on the floor or are you having a team that's you know already down by 22 at the end of the first quarter against a a good Celtics team but yeah. not a you know not an amazing Celtics well, team. and that's what I was about to bring up like when you say consistency as a Cavs fan, are, are can you be happy with they've had they've 
their longest streaks have been three-game streaks. They've had two three-game winning streaks and one three-game losing streak. So are you happy with those kind of streaks and consistency, even though those games in between, those losses in between, are bad losses? Yeah, and I think I think some of that is a growth thing. I think, especially early in the season, you had kind of a mishmash of players because you had so many guys injured. You know, when they lost to the Magic by 20, I think they didn't have Sexton, Garland, Love. I mean, they were missing, you know, three or four starters. Like, they were pretty down right. bad. But I think more importantly than getting these streaks is just on a regular basis, keeping games closer. And then also, you know, they've been able to win at home, but the Celtics game was on the road. The question is being able to bring it on the road and then also not look past teams. And I know you don't look past a good team like the Celtics, but when you're the Cavs and LeBron's coming to town the next night, sometimes your mind's not always in the right place, figuring it out, maybe not bringing the best effort against the Knicks. I think it's bringing a more consistent effort. And I think some players have done it, you know, uh, Sexton, as we mentioned, has been huge for right. the Cavs, averaging, you know, uh, 25 and a half points this year. It was the first Cavaliers player ever, and that includes a franchise that has arguably the best basketball player ever. You know, not going to get into the MJ LeBron <laughs> whoa, whoa. debate today, but he's the first player in Cavs history to have 20 plus points in each of the team's first or each of his first 10 games of the season. It was broken. Last night, when he only had 13 versus Boston. Also, the second player in Cavs history in the last 20 years, just him and LeBron, to have 20 straight points in a game, which he did when he had 40-plus uh, versus Brooklyn on Wednesday night, where he just took over in the uh, yeah, second overtime. Yeah, absolutely took over. That was insane to watch. And I guess that leads me to my next question, then we'll take a break. Um, you've got these guys, bench guys and young guys, who are really, it seems like they're really starting to take a next step forward development-wise, and the development is looking pretty good for the Cavs. Uh, could Bickerstaff like use that to his advantage and start playing some different schemes and stuff and using these different developed weapons to get through this hard stretch coming up? Yeah, I think so. I think the one thing that you know the Cavs have that a lot of teams don't have is you get a lot of small ball lineups but it's almost kind of like in other sports where you have something that's a little bit different it can throw off teams you know when you have a a knuckleballer in baseball or a you know an option team in football and I understand sometimes it's a little bit gimmicky but when you have you know when a lot of guys are going positionless small ball when you have you know Jared Allen uh, Andre Drummond Larry Nance, a lot of you know high flyers, shot blockers. You can force guys to try to change the game a little bit, take some more jump shots, kind of affect the way they're shooting, and really outmuscle them in the paint. And it can make things very difficult on them. I think it's one of those things where just figuring out what guys play well together in the pick and roll, what guys play well play well together on defense. I think they can definitely create some matchup problems that other teams don't really have with with some of their big guys and their their wealth of big men right well we'll take a break real quick revisit our beer of the week and uh refill our cups up when we come back we'll talk about some of these younger developing guys and how the Cavs can build a future around them patterns of stone fruit berry medley and tropical hop flavors come together to create an artfully crafted beer, followed by a juicy taste and smooth finish. Now's the time to enjoy the moment you've been looking forward to. Find your forest. I found mine. I was gonna I say, wow, mine. that's uh, <laughs> that just makes me want to like, yeah, like buy like a cabin and sit outside all day. I know. Uh, that's, that's what this beer like is. It would be a perfect get drunk on the porch beer. Phantom Forest. Juicy Imperial IPA. It's Mad Tree Brewing. And the can itself is beautiful. It's kind of got this stained glass forest on it. Yeah, you I get guess this like you... autumnal, like, uh, you know, uh, purple with all kind of your fall colors, purple, orange, yellow, stuff like that. I will say on the website, they have a picture 
and it's you can tell it's like the front rail of kind of a fence in the, or front rail of a patio in, in the cabin and there's a little bit of water on the top of that's what i think of like a rain kind of a rainy yeah. day or a little and you just sit on the porch that's just, yeah that's what i'm saying you're sitting on the porch watching the rain maybe you got some ccr on or something and you're just throwing them back and it's so refreshing for an imperial ipa like like we talked about in our earlier segment it doesn't make like the maybe the one thing some IPA fans might want is a little bit more bite to it, but yeah, especially uh, I mean, especially looking at the Imperial IPA. But I think man, it's, but just it's got just such so, a smooth, yeah, it's so smooth, smooth and drinkable. Flavor. But and the can is beautiful. And as we mentioned earlier, we thought this was seasonal. It is year round, so look for the purple can with the kind of stained glass pine trees on it. I guess the, yeah, the Phantom would, Forest. I mean. Like we said, it'll it'll definitely give you fall vibes. It's one of those yeah. things where you, you kind of expect to drink it during the fall, but you know when you're when you're missing the fall and the the pumpkin spice lattes and everything else, uh, you know, kick back a nice Phantom Forest and maybe warm yourself up a little bit during this this winter time. Good job, Mad Tree. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, this is an award winning one, and uh, we're getting closer. Uh, it's talking about all our award-winning beers in Ohio coming up in the What's Brewing Ohio segment at the end of our show. Well. We're back to our big chug of the week. Talking calves. Chug our beers. Chug our beers right, all right now. Gotcha. Um, big chug calves. Colin Sexton. Huge week for the kid. I mean, huge. And Cavs fans are fired up for this kid, rightfully so. He put the team on his back, scoring all those consecutive points at the end of that first game and taking the Nets to double overtime and literally, quite literally, putting the team on his back to get that win. Come back Friday night with another encore performance and another win over the Nets, spoiling their big three debut. Who is this Colin Sexton guy? Can, can they build around him? So Colin Sexton has been a... You know, it was a later pick. I believe he was sixth in the draft. He was part of the the Kyrie Irving trade, one of the Nets picks that they kind of picked up. And he's a guy that, you know, was much maligned early in his career, a guy who, you know, didn't play great defense. His shooting was kind of up and down. Not a great assist player, but a guy that you could tell always kind of had that, like, I mean, his nickname is Young Bull, but kind of that, like, fearless bull mentality. And I think that's been really shown over his career. You know, in college, there was a there was a famous Alabama game. I forget who they were playing, but they were playing at the Bear Clays Center, and basically his entire team got ejected because of um, running on the floor. So they only had five players. One guy got hurt. One guy fouled out. So oh, I think one. I remember. Yeah, I, I remember this game. Purdue. Yeah, he had to play five on three for like eleven minutes, and they actually almost came back. It was ridiculous, crazy. You know, good athlete, but a guy who is just a hard worker, and that's kind of been shown throughout his last couple seasons. And this year, he has taken an unbelievable step forward. I mean, you look at his field goal percentage; it went from forty-three to forty-seven to fifty-one, and that's his field goals per game going from. 14 to 16 to 18. So he's averaging, you know, two shots more per year, more threes per year, and still shooting the ball well. He's shooting over 45% from three, which is like almost like what Steph Curry does. Right. Maybe not the distance, but Steph Curry. And he's just a guy that has been that elite scorer. He's been... You know, it's very important in the NBA to kind of have that guy that can get you a bucket. And you've seen it with some of these kind of middling teams where it's kind of scoring by committee, maybe a guy's a little bit better. But when you need a bucket late, and you've shown, he's shown in a couple games, especially that Nets game, when you need a bucket, he can get you one. And that's, I mean, that's the difference between, because with the amount of talent in the NBA, you know, the difference between some mediocre teams and some good teams is just a guy that can get you, you know, six points in the last couple minutes. He can be that guy. And I think that's very important. His defense has been a lot better. The one issue that they had when they drafted Sexton and Garland was 
They were both kind of defensive liabilities, but they've offset them sometimes, brought Koro up to guard, him, Osman. So they've been able to kind of negate the defensive issues and then just allowed him to play his game. And he is a guy that's improved year over year and is a guy that's shooting 52% and, you know, 46% from three. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about his offensive prowess, I know uh, bigger staff has before referred to him as a walking bucket. And he right now, he's averaging more points and has a better effective field goal percentage than Anthony Davis, LeBron James, James Harden, James Harden Donovan Mitchell, and Devin Booker. Uh, that's per fearthesword.com. Pretty good. I mean, if, like you said, if you need this offensive guy to build around, his 42 points in the game against the Nets, he was 55% shooting, including the 20 straight Cavalier points at the end of the game to lift them through double overtime. And that's outdueling Durant, Harden, and Irving. And I think another thing, you know, that's kind of lost is, you know, like I said, his field goals went up, but points he went from, you know, 17 to 21 to averaging almost 26 this year. And he's been a guy that has, you know, played 11 out of 16 games this year, but in 10 out of 11, and the only one being his most recent game, he's had over 20 points. So he's not like a guy that'll put up 40 one night, put up 10 the next night. You see some scores like that. But he's been a guy that's been consistently able to get you buckets. And I think that's so important. I think the Cavs were kind of expecting maybe Kevin Love to be the guy to kind of shoulder the load on offense, but obviously he's been hurt. But having a guy like that, especially at the point guard position, it not only obviously helps you win because he's scoring so many points, but it also the defense has to move up. The defense is more cognizant of them. That helps Andre Drummond to get more rebounds. That helps him to get some more passes into the middle. Helps to unclog the lane when you have a lot of guys like Nance and um, Drummond that can work in the paint so well. You've seen Jetty Osman, who's had over 20 points, I believe, his last three or four games because he's getting so many open threes, helping out Garland, helping out a young guy like Okoro. It just, when you have a guy that can get so many buckets, and I think, you know, Cavs fans have seen it with LeBron, you know, to another level because LeBron is obviously an unreal player and an unreal passer. But when you play with a guy who is a great scorer, especially from the perimeter, it opens up the floor so much for the rest of the team, whether you're working inside or you're getting open threes because Sexton is not only just a great shooter, but he's a guy that can drive, get to the bucket. I mean, he's almost two more... Uh, free throw attempts per game, so he's getting to the line more. He's kind of, you know, doing everything, an extra assist per game. Well, and I know that was one of the big complaints that Cavs fan has had, had for a while, is he's got this super, I mean, he's got some super speed, but he hasn't always utilized it in the right way. Now that he's driving in more, he's getting to the line more, he's getting the points. So at 22 years old, you've got Colin Sexton, you've got Darius Garland, uh, I know you sometimes refer to that backcourt as the Sexland. Can they don't like they don't like that nickname. I know they don't like it. Unbelievable. I, I it surprises me for guys like them. But can the Cavs build around this backcourt? I mean, can Colin Sexton be the centerpiece? Does he need to be a centerpiece? I don't know if he needs to be a centerpiece, but I think he's a guy that can grow into. Now. Not to give them the the unfair, you know, analogy, but when Garland and Sexton were originally drafted, a lot of people were hoping for kind of the Dame Lillard, C.J. McCollum, and that's you know, wishful thinking. Right. But you know, Sexton has been shown he's a guy that can can kind of get points like Dame can at times, and I think if you build a team the right way, and their GM Kobe Altman, who came in, you know after they got rid of David Griffin, I believe LeBron's last year or two. I had plenty of issues with some of the trades, you know, the Kyrie for Isaiah trade. There there were a bunch of issues. But he's been a guy that, you know, they're stacked up on front court guys, but they're trying to figure out the front court for the future. I think Akura was a great add. He's a wing depth, which they desperately need. But he's also a guy that can guard, you know, shooting guards all the way through power forwards. So he's a guy that can help out on defense. I think the the issue that you have with these guys is I think Garland is a guy that played, you know, four games in college. 
obviously with the season last year, you, you miss a number of games late in the season. He was hurt a little bit too, whatnot. He's still kind of growing into what he is. But if you can get two good scores, you can help to protect them on defense a little bit with some solid wing players. You can develop some guys more. I mean, you even look at Osman, who I thought might not be anything better than a rotational player, has ballooned into a 20-plus point scorer over the last you know couple weeks, and you get some solid defense guys. I'm not saying they're going to be the LeBron Cavs that are going to be right. the one or two seed every year, but I think if you're a Cavs fan— Unless you get a you know a generational talent again, uh, right? You know in the yeah, draft, you're, exp- you're just looking for progress. You, you want to you know, you don't want to have to sit through 19 win seasons. If you're a six or a five seed and you you know play some good basketball, maybe even make it to a second round, you're like you know what? There's something to believe in here, and I think this team can compete for a playoff spot, which I think is great for the team, great for the confidence, and great for the city. Because not only does it say Hey, we're trying to build something. Hey, we can keep our fans engaged all the way through the year. But also, if you're a player, it's an interesting Cavs team. Yeah. And if you're if you oh, yeah. if you look at Osman or some of these guys and you're maybe a you know, a mid-level wing, you go, "Well, I would love to take wide open threes for half the game. Why don't I right. do that?" That's why so right. many people love to play with LeBron cuz it's like why well, just stand in the corner and exactly. open threes all day? If they can turn into that guy or like a like a Trailblazers team, you can get some talent. Well, so that's I guess because Cavs fans, Cavs players, everybody in Cleveland was so fired up over those two Nets wins. But then you kind of get brought back down to earth. But I think especially for the players, as young as they are too, you got to remember that you can do what you did to the Nets day in and day out. And I guess I'll give you one more question off the script here. What What is one move you think the Cavs need to make to kind of round it out this year and make one final push? Yeah, I don't know if they're going to make a I don't, final push. I don't push. know if they're going to make anything. Obviously, this next month will decide where position they're in. Say they are in position. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to make one final push. I think, you know, looking at, at their draft capital – and, uh, you know, what they have in the future. Uh, they got Jared Allen basically to cover because Andre Drummond might leave at the end of the year. He's a free agent. Jared Allen's a restricted free agent. I think they just need to add some more wing depth. You know, just add more depth on a, on a you know, sweeping basis. Add some more veterans and keep doing what they're doing to build the team. The problem is... Cleveland's not a t- Cleveland's not Miami. They're not going to get Jimmy Butler overnight. They're not going to get LeBron overnight. Mm-hmm. They're a team that you have to kind of build through the draft, and until you get to the point where you know you're getting players like Carmelo that want to come to Portland, you're just going to have to kind of take it one day at a time. And you know, I think at this point we've at least seen progress out of the team. Yeah, that's what I was. And I say. think handing over the reins to some of these guys, showing progress making sure they get better in some of their deficiencies. Like we said, defense going from, you know, bottom of the league to seventh. Yeah, organization-wise in coaching staff, I mean, you've got to be happy as a fan with the progress you're seeing right now with the development of players, the development of the defensive side of the ball. I, I think you've got to be pretty ecstatic over the progress you're making right now. As as a Cavs fan, you know, throughout – both of the LeBron tenures, both of the non-LeBron tenures, you know, since 2003. Uh, I was even a fan, you know, a little bit before LeBron when they, you know, kind of had some of those Ricky Davis years. I think the one thing that I hoped for the most in post-LeBron life again, once, you know, once you realize that he left, is just having a competitive team. Because I remember, you know, big NBA fan. I remember kind of losing, almost losing some love for the game. Right after LeBron left, you know, you had the 24-game losing streak. But it was more than that. It was turning on the TV, you know, maybe not catching the beginning of the game, but turning it on in the second, third quarter. They're down 20. They're down 30. They're down 25. And having a team that's just competitive to the point where it was like, you know, last night I was like, hey, I want to turn on the game. Okay, they're not competitive. But there have been a lot of times where I'm like, well, they're not going to beat the Nets. And then I find myself watching, you know, the second yeah. half of the game because I'm like, wow, they're actually playing well. 
just having some sort just having a team that can you know bring it on most nights that you feel like going into most games obviously you need some breaks but can win a lot of games you know if if they beat the bucks one of two games I'm not going to be like super surprised. I'm going to be happy and at least yeah. a little surprised, but not super surprised. I think it's just one of those things where when you're a small market team, when you're not someone that really you know, gets those big free agents, you have to build correctly through the draft. You have to be patient, but you have to put together a competitive team that's well-rounded. Because you look at some of these small teams that play well and make it far, like a Portland who made it to the conference championship. They're a team that can score. They're a team that has rim protector. They're a team that has, you know, some scoring off the bench. And I think the Cavs, obviously not this year, but in future years, if Garland and Sexton keep taking those steps forward, can be a team to do that. Yeah. I mean, the the trends are upward for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously, like we said, over the course of the next month, a lot of big games, uh, two big games against the Clippers. Obviously, as we record tonight, uh, they play the Lakers. Greg and I will be watching that one when we finish up our recording here. Games against the Bucks, Trailblazers, and Nuggets, a tough stretch coming up for the Cavs and an important one that could decide where the rest of the season goes. But they're the sixth seed right now, baby! Got to enjoy it, Cavs fans, Uh, but that is going to do it for our big chug. The Cleveland Cavaliers are our topic of the week. Let us know your thoughts on the Cavs at social media on 30 Rack of Sports. We're at the end of our show. We're going to put this at the end of our show now to kind of let our listeners see what's going on at breweries in Ohio as we leave them for the week. Um, this week, though, not going to let you know what's going on, but what's happened, we were so focused on other championships in sports that we forgot about the 2020 U.S. Open Beer Championships. More than 6,000 beers, over 140 styles. But we've got a lot to run through here. I'm going to try and get you every single medal winner from this competition over the past year. 53 in all. 53. So Ooh. bear with me, and please... Give me your snide remarks. So for top three breweries, we had uh, Deschutes Brewery in Oregon get the number one. Deschutes is good. Uh, Number two, Monday Night Garage in Georgia. And then the third best overall brewery in the country, Narrow Path Brewing in Loveland, Ohio. Really? Yeah. Really? I know. I I was like, oh, where's this in Ohio? Loveland, right here down in uh, the suburbs of Cincinnati, and we haven't had them on the show yet. Sounds like we need a little bit of uh, 30-rack bronze medalist. I I think we do. I think we do. Getting into ales, English Summer Ale, Municipal Brew Works got their approachable blonde. Haven't had them on yet. In Imperial IPA, our beer of the week, Uh, Mad Trees, Phantom Forest won gold. Uh, for their Imperial IPA style. We've had them on before for the Oktoberfest, episode 21, and, of course, this episode here. Uh, the Bitter Ale, Brink Brewing won bronze, English Mild Ale. We have two gold for Narrow Paths, English Descent, and silver for Third Eye Brewings, right here in the backyard of Sharonville, where we record. Their Groovy Baby won silver in English oh, Mild Ale. Oh, Groovy Baby is good. It is. Third Eye's got some some, some good beers. It's, it's right over, what, Sharon Road? Yeah, yeah, right across the way here. Brown Ale, uh, bronze too, Third Eye Brewing for their perfect site. For Cream Stout. Third Eye Brewing. They got their three right there. Uh, they got a gold for Cream Stout for their higher purpose. Brink Brewing also won silver for their Moozy. Oatmeal Stout. Eudora Brewing. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're in Kettering. I've never heard of them before, but they've got a few on here. Eudora yeah. beer. Their Thunderball Oatmeal Stout won gold. Uh, British Imperial Stout. Uh, Mus- Musculunge. Musculunge Brewing. Uh, they are up in Canton, Ohio. Their Sturgeon Russian Imperial won gold for British Imperial Stout. Extreme Imperial Stout. That's Imperial Stouts that are 12.5% or more. So basically, uh, yeah, the ones that will get you going. Yeah. Zaftig Brewery, their old rugger, uh, won gold out of, Columbus, out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, that's right. Scottish Ale, Grainworks Brewery, uh, their Scottish Mist. Scottish. Uh, that one gold out of Westchester, Ohio. Westchester, Ohio. Imperial Red Ale. Silver for Municipal Brew Works in Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton, for Ohio. Recovery Red. Uh, this one's one I've never heard of. Australian-style pale ale. Uh, bronze for Eudora Brewing, and they're far, far away. Does it have, like, K 
kangaroo or emu chunks in it or something? I don't know, is mate. Is it emu or is it emu? I think they say emu there, Okay. but I'm not sure. Uh, one of our favorite people ever for this podcast and one of our favorite breweries Me? just also oh. up the road, uh, a gold for fretboard brewing in the Brute IPA category for Bootsy IPA it's in Bootsy, collaboration baby. with Bootsy Collins. Uh, in the American Brown Ale category, a silver for Missing Falls Brewery in their blue collar out of Akron, and Eudora, another medal winner for a bronze in that category for their mother Fuggle. We That's better, in the American we better get Brown Eudora Ale. up in here. I know. They've got, they've got some beers, I guess. Here's one in Cincinnati that I've never heard of before for their German Hefeweizen MPH Brewing for their Das Weizen. They're in Montgomery here in oh, Cincinnati. Wow, wow. See, the thing is about Ohio that's difficult is there's so many good breweries like... Oh, like, wait... Wh- what is a young beer drinker to do? I know. There's two. There's so many. MPH Brewing in Montgomery, Ohio, the Dosweizen, a bronze in the German Hefeweizen. For Belgian Pale Ale, Fretboard Brewing in their Crazy Train. For Belgian Double, March 1st, their Double Chin. We haven't had them on the show yet, but we will have them on March 1st. Uh, March 1st, great. Got some, got some of their rum over here, too. They've oh, got, they've got some good spirit, March. too. They do. Uh, Belgian Triple, Narrow Path Brewing for their Tri-Kettle Triple out of Loveland, Ohio. By the way, not to go back to March 1st and totally take you off track, but have you ever had any of their, like, Mountain Dew seltzers? Oh, yeah. Those they've are got, some weird They've got some stuff, wild but stuff some over there. But some good stuff. Uh, you know, I believe still have food there, so yeah, good, good place. Stuff. Right over, it's right on the edge of, like, Sharonville, Blue Ash, Mason. Down the road. A couple of these places right in our backyard from where we record, hitting it hard with the medals. Uh, Belgian Wit Beer. Hansa Brewing for their Wit Wit in the Wit out of Cleveland. Oh, have you ever been to Hansa? I have not. Uh, the schnitzel there is great, and the Slovenian man is an absolute hoot. If you're in Cleveland, Hansa Brewing, absolute joy. Got some, to watch some Bundesliga there, too. Some place we were both recently at and that we have had on the show before way back on episode six. We had their Suh Bra. Streetside Brewing won gold for Berliner Weiss where their Raspberry Beret, which is an insane beer. Uh, I love Berliner Weisses. Hans the, also used to have great Berliner Weiss. Into the lagers category, American Premium Lager, Sibling Revelry Brewing, which we've had on the show out of a West Lake, Ohio, uh, go back to episode 16 for their Spoiled Brat IPA on the show. Their SRB Lager won silver in the premium lagers, and Mad Tree Brewing's Double Mitt won bronze. Uh, Oktoberfest, Twin Oast Brewing in Port Clinton, Ohio won silver. For Vienna's Brink Brewing's where, Feeling where, Fritzy uh, in Cincinnati won silver. Where's Port Clinton, Ohio? I am not sure. Oh Look gosh. that up for me. Uh, Greg and I's hometown for Schwarz Beer, the Common Beer Company... Dark Cloud one out of Mason, Ohio. It's a bronze in the Schwarz beer category. And Muscalunge Brewing won bronze for Bach in their Judy's Buck. Big Ash Brewing won a gold in the Baltic Porter for Porter's Porter. And then Nine Giant Brewing won bronze in Baltic Porter for my favorite beer name on here, Coolverine. Nine Giant and Big Ash out of Cincinnati in the hybrid category. Nine Giant out of Pleasant Ridge, baby. Yep. Represent. American Cream Ale, we have two winners. Uh, the Rheingeist Cheetah out of oh, Cincinnati. So We've had them on multiple times. It won a silver in American Cream Ale. The Blue Heron Brewery up in Medina, Ohio. We Medina. Had them, we had them back on Episode 9 for their beer blog, Brown Porter. Their Matrimony Ale won bronze in American Cream Ale. Belgian-style fruit beer, Municipal Brew Works, and their Blackberry Duelist won silver out of Hamilton, Ohio. Urban Spice Beers, the Common Beer Company out of Mason, Ohio, again, won Fly Rod uh, Gold. And the Smoked Porter, another one we've had on the show just recently, Warped Wing Brewery's Creep Show won gold. And we had that on just a couple episodes yeah, ago. Yeah, that was that. That was that like bacony tasting yeah. porter. That's that. The smoked smoked porter. That was a good one. It very good. Very different, but a very good beer. If you're into that kind of, you can get porter. our review of that one on episode 39. We also did Warped Wings Gamma Bomb on episode 24. They won gold for smoked porter. Listerman Brewing's smoked porter won bronze. In no the barrel-aged category, a dark beer, Northern Row Brewery and Distillery here in Cincinnati, their test of time won silver. Fruit Sour, Ryan Geist's Perceptual Passion Ooh. won bronze. That's a good beer. Barley Wine, Wolf's Ridge in Columbus, my second favorite name on here. They won silver for Barley Wine with their Lil Nippert. Do you know why they call it Barley Wine? Why do they call it Barley Wine? So uh, if there's a certain 
ABV of beer. They can't actually call it beer anymore. So they gotcha. have to refer to it as barley wine. Um, Belgian Dark Ale, the gold, Wolf's Ridge Brewing again for their St. Francis Elder. That's out of Columbus, Ohio again. A great place to go in downtown Columbus. Uh, blended Beer, Listerman Brewing won silver for their XXXII or 12. Uh, we've had Listerman on before, neither of their metal winning beers, but we've had their Fiona IPA on episode 40. And their Don't Talk Shit About Norwood. <laughs> non whiskey barrel aged. That's a barrel-aged beer that is tequila or rum or... As someone who's been to the barrel-aged beer fest at Jungle Gyms in Cincinnati, Ohio, Josh, we know there's been some good tequila barrels, rum barrels. Yes, sir. Street barrel sides, barrels. Streetside Breweries Warhead won bronze in that. And finally, in the specialty category, Aged Beer Municipal Brew Works, again out of Hamilton, Ohio. Their first anniversary aged beer got silver and then... I had a grand old time with this beer this weekend. Grainworks Brewing's Bagpipes of Bardstown won bronze, and yeah. How are you feeling Sunday morning, oh. pal? Uh, if your words, if your final, final, famous final words, this barrel-aged imperial ale doesn't taste like a barrel-aged imperial ale. Good beer from Grainworks. American Belgio-style ale, Nine Giant Brewing in Cincinnati, Ohio, won gold for their minor swing. Keller Beer or Zwickle Beer, Hansa Brewing won gold in that for their Femdom. Sessions Beer, Platform Brewing, who was on our holiday special this year. Platform, beautiful. Their Basic Lager won bronze for Sessions Beer. Sibling Ravelry Brewing, again, we've had them on the show. Their Ollie Ollie Gluten-Free Pale Ale won silver for gluten-free beer. And then rounding it out, Listerman specializing in the nutcases. Oh, the nutcase, the peanut butter porter? Yeah, oh, the peanut butter, their peanut butter nutcase won silver in the peanut butter category, and then their chikow won chikow. gold in the nut beer category. <sighs> Those are your 52 medal-winning beers. And then we also have the additional medal for bronze uh, going to Narrow Path for overall best brewery. Greg not to toot our horns down here in Cincinnati, but 32 of these 52 medal-winning beers are Cincinnati brewed beers, and that's the Cincinnati area. Uh, of all the Ohio breweries, Listerman, Narrowpath, and Municipal Brew Works lead the way with four medals each. 53 overall medals, 21 golds, 16 silvers, 15 bronze, and the one overall for third best brewery in the country going to Narrowpath. Josh, whether it's Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, or on the north end of Sandusky Bay, right near Catawaba Island and Putin Bay. That's where Port Clinton is. Port Clinton, <laughs> the walleye capital of the world. Oh, even better. We got to go up to Port Clinton sometime. We got to go to Port Clinton sometime. This is we got to try some show, beers. Though. 53 overall medals, 21 golds. It doesn't get brewed better anywhere why else than Ohio. We, we couldn't do an Oklahoma sports and beer show. No. Well, thank you so much for listening to another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed Josh and I holding things down while Zach was as unprofessional as ever. Protecting the football. Protecting the football. I don't even think she's a beautiful football anymore, right now. No. But, you know, she's protecting the small. football, being a dad. So we're here to give you all the, the sports takes that we have. Uh, just to wrap things up, we have our final cheers of the night. Uh, Josh, do you have anything you're cheersing? Yeah, I am cheersing to, well, I'm cheersing to Travis Kelsey, but then there's this guy, uh, Randy Watson, who's on Twitter at, uh, at Bearcats Natty, and he had this interesting uh, take. Oscar Robinson, Sandy Koufax, and Travis Kelsey, all from the University of Cincinnati. Show that me a better true. trio, and I'll take his step, and a couple other folks have taken this step. A better trio of football, basketball, baseball stars from the same college Oscar Robinson, Sandy Koufax, and Travis Kelsey are as good as it comes, I think. I think there are some good arguments out there, but those three men are dominant in their sports. All Bearcats. Bo Jackson. Cheers to all of them. Frank Thomas. The Auburn Charles one, Barkley. The Auburn, Auburn one is close, but I don't know. I think Oscar Robinson is a little better than Charles Barkley. The round mountain <laughs> rebound? Ernie, that's <laughs> terrible. No, 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 no. I stand by it. Go cats. Well, awesome. But to go down to a, a another a guy also originally from Alabama, my first shout out 
goes to mm. um, a legend in uh, the game of baseball. The guy who some people call the uh, true home run king, uh, Hammer and Hank Aaron. And you go, well, why are we call- why are we shouting him out on an Ohio podcast? Hammer and Hank Aaron, big Browns fan. Uh, there big, were some videos that big. came out that said he used to fly from Georgia or Milwaukee over to Cleveland, sit in the dog pound, a resident of the dog pound for watch many years. the games. He said uh, he said he finally. Had to move up to a suite when people started recognizing him. Because, you know, I wasn't I wasn't home run King Hank Aaron. I was just some guy. Right. So, very cool to see. Uh, you know, uh, I, obviously, you know, one of the great ambassadors of the game. Someone that we're going to miss very yeah. much. Uh, you know, Browns fan, but also just, you know, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. I don't think anyone's such a really great, going such to... Such a great uh, baseball guy. Going to, to really mention that. So, um that's our show for tonight. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, Be looking on our social media. We'll have some uh, new stuff coming your way. We're taking our Hugots off of the show completely, and you can find our picks for the best games in Ohio on our social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at 30 Rack of Sports. And we've got, I don't know, a couple picks per week for the biggest games in Ohio. We'll have them out later this week. Look, season three, we're coming in hot. Yeah, we're trying all different things here. We've got our big chugs. We've still got our beer. We've still got our news. We, of course, still have our takes. Same podcast. But we're going to have... Wrapped differently. More segments outside. We're going to have who you got. We're still going to have our big discussions. And we're still going to have all the content you crave here on 30 Rack of Sports. Whether it's Josh, myself... Potentially some uh, rotating third guests, our dear, dear pal Zach, and a whole lot more. Ohio beer, us giving it all to you. Keep Thank it, you so much for listening in. to 30 Rack of Sports. For Josh, for Zach, if he could be here and be professional. I'm the <laughs> talent, Greg. Thank you so much for listening to 30 Rack of Sports. Peace.